Good morning, everybody. We're now live. I'd like to welcome you all to today's How to Franchise Simply teleconference, where I'm, I'm uh, really thrilled to have Ivan Paul with us. Um, it's a privilege because Ivan, who's the principal of Ivan Paul Lawyers, is without doubt one of the most widely experienced and, I believe, respected franchise laws in Aus lawyers in Australia, but as a, his other expertise is in the area of trademarks and intellectual property, which is also, of course, very relevant to franchising, but also equally applicable to any business because the value of your business is reflected in the goodwill, and that goodwill is often to a large degree protected by your various patents, trademarks, whatever may be appropriate for your business. So what we'll do is have a, an interview process with Ivan, um, and uh, in the process of that, I'll be asking a few questions. If you've got any questions, please jot them down, and we'll have an opportunity for them to be asked at the end. Otherwise, you can email to me, email them to me, and I'll circulate the answers to everybody, unless it's something confidential. So, um, delighted to have you here. Um, what I'd like to say is, Ivan, thank you very much for coming along today. Welcome. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I've actually got you on speaker, everybody, so I hope that quality is um, okay. I've put the receiver down while you were talking, Brian, so if there's any problem, just give me a yell. I can make it louder or softer or go further away or even disappear altogether. No, 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 don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Um, that the sounds coming through loud and clear. So the, the title today is Don't Be Robbed of Your Most Precious Commodity. Um, and the, under, the underline is protecting your intellectual property. It covers more than you think and can be easier and cheaper than you expect. So we're going to learn some of the, the techniques. Um, so I'm looking forward to hearing this information. And there'll be some gems in there, I think. Um, as you can appreciate, um, uh, Ivan's background is quite extensive, so it's something we get an opportunity, which you don't get very often, to be able to uh, pose these questions and so on. A quick reminder for anyone who's joined us in the interim um, to press star six in order to mute your phone. That stops us hearing the dog barking or the kettle boiling or the phone ringing or conversation in the background, etc. So that means we get a better quality recording and doesn't irritate anyone. So um, what I'd like to start with, I suppose, is throwing, throwing the, uh, the floor open to, um, to Ivan to give us his, his summary of the, the different types of intellectual property that are pertinent, and then perhaps he can expand on those from there. So far away, Ivan, please. All right, thanks, Brian. Well, welcome, everybody. Um, as business owners, and just as we move around life in general, intellectual property... Uh, which has been around, of course, for decades, probably centuries, of course, but we're all more aware of intellectual property uh, than we were probably yesterday, last year, uh, 10 years ago. Um, intellectual property is really the basis for most franchise uh, businesses, licensed businesses, and as I said, to a greater or lesser degree than businesses like businesses like, uh, like, our, uh, like our... Sorry. Sorry. Have I got a... Have I got a... If you're on the line, I'll just, I need to repeat this a few times. Um, um, don't be embarrassed, but please press star six, which mutes your line. Otherwise, it creates an echo, which makes it difficult for the, uh, for the interview to proceed and the quality of the recording. Thanks, Brian. So, it's, it's a pleasure. So just to remind us, star six. If you, if you hit it a second time, by the way, you'll come back um, uh, unmuted, so you'll probably be conscious of that if you make that slip, just do it again. Sorry, Ivan, so please carry on. You're just telling us a little about the, the relevance of, um, of, of intellectual property and so forth, particularly these days, it's becoming more and more important. Yeah, okay, thanks, Brian. Um, sorry for the interruption. Uh, so, worldwide, and I say worldwide, there are four types of intellectual property. 
Uh, we don't, won't be dealing too much with two of those today, but the first one is patents, and people know about patents. Patents can be from anything from a, um, uh, a safety pin to a caterpillar tractor or something, or anything in between. And they have, um, I'm involved at the moment, actually interesting enough, for a patent uh, which is going to be for some computer software which um, is being worked on for five or six years and will probably revolutionise the travel booking industry a couple of years away yet. So that is in fact uh, a process of algorithms and processes. So they're actually patenting that. The Australian patent's done and the American patent is in a sort of sixth year almost finished. Uh, but we won't be doing too much for those today. Uh, designs, well, uh, designs are just that. Again, it's the design, how to make a machine. Uh, how to, I've been involved in one of those some years ago where a, it was a post uh, hole, uh, post that went into the ground and as you're driving along the roadside, you see the signs that say turn left, turn right, etc. main road signs and those sorts of things. The majority of those are put into this type of hole, uh, which as you hammer it into the ground, um, expands and becomes solid, as solid as being in concrete. And someone pinched our design, it was an English design, so we had to go to court and get them to get to stop. So we won't be dealing too much with designs. Those of you that have um, products, as it were, and going to the market, you may need to look at um, you may need to look at uh, design registration and so on. It's relatively simple. Uh, patents are much more difficult. The type of intellectual property that we deal with every day in our lives uh, is uh, copyright, and we'll come back to that in a minute. And the other thing that uh, we deal with quite a lot of, with of course, is trademarks. So, trademarks and have since about 2007 encompassed sites, sites, sorry, sites, smells, and sounds. Um, and for example, you probably know that the Harley Davidson sound and the motorbike has been um, has been trademarked in USA. Um, so, uh, and of course, now you've got plant breeders' rights and all those things as well. But basically. We're talking here about protection of a name, or protection of a logo, a saying, a slogan. Um, so we're quite heavily involved in that. We probably process a trademark application within Australia once every week. Um, I say perhaps something like that every year, throughout the year, and also in New Zealand to perhaps a lesser degree, and to overseas to a lesser degree again. But we've got um, we're just doing in fact a trademark at the moment. One of the sisters is here. I think in about 30 countries, including all the EU, uh, and relatively, relatively inexpensive for the protection that you get. Um, so uh, just dealing on trademarks for a minute, uh, and just to tell you how you can protect your trademark, uh, most of you may know what's called protection by common law or just common law rights. So that just means that the common law rights are rights that just exist when you do something, or in fact sometimes don't do anything. Um, within the within the law, so you can use, for example, a trademark. Let's just say, let's just say we actually have a priest. The only thing I say today is is, is nothing that uh, you couldn't find out uh, by making an inquiry on the web or bringing the franchisor or the licensor. So we have a lot of trouble with protecting that trademark. There are a number of trademarks under Hair Free, and Hair Free's been going since about 2005 across Australia. Um, uh, so we have to police. The, their trademarks when someone advertises, and I've got one in front of me actually torn out of a Jetstar um, uh, magazine where one of our sisters was in Melbourne last Thursday and came back on Friday in business and pulled it out and here's hair free, someone advertising hair free and now as it happens tap free. So with a registered trademark you have better protection than your common law rights. 
but you do have minimal common law rights just built up because your trademark uh, is has been used and has been cited by people and it identifies people with your particular brand or your particular product or your particular business. So but the best type of uh, protection uh, is to register a trademark. And although people say, oh, I've registered a business name, you can forget that. That's nothing other than to identify your business. I've registered a company and I've got protection. Nothing. doesn't rank. It ranks number two. So what ranks number one for protection is a registered trademark. So the process for just deal with Australia, New Zealand is very similar as is the rest of the world, but just deal with specifics in Australia, there are 45 classes of goods and services that you can, that you can, you must choose to register your trademark. There are a couple of other things. You can't register your uh, surname unless I think it's under 500 of those names in Australia. It might be 1,500, but whatever it is, it's a relatively small number. And you can't obviously register a, a trademark uh, whether it be a logo or just a name or just a, a, a saying like it's a, it's a, in fact we have registered it's a jungle out there for one of the coffee companies, even though you'll probably now more relate that to Underbelly on Channel 9. But they, <laughs> one of the coffee companies has had that for about 12 or 15 years and chose not to take on Channel 9, or in fact they could have. Uh, they thought that they would get more spin-off by just using their trademark as well. It's a jungle out there. So, um, so what you do is you, we register a trademark, um, and so what we need for that is, is, is the trademark. Obviously, what you're saying, or sometimes we say put a logo behind it. It's just a simple word. Although experts might tell you um, that certain things can't be done, we adopt here a, what, what might be called a more aggressive approach, and we've had things done as simply as, uh, as, as seriously pink is one of them, for example. Um, you'd never think you might get that registered, but we were successful in get, getting that registered without any problems. So I'm inclined to look at trademarks and say, yes, we'll be able to do that, rather than no, it's going to cause a lot of, um, a lot of problems. So you can register your trademark uh, without going through it. As I said before, there are 34 classes of goods, so that's product. So for example, if you're manufacturing a comb or a brush to put into a store, you might be calling that the, I don't know, the, the, the caterpillar brush. And so you would therefore register that in the right class for for, for hair hair products, uh, brushes, etc., etc., etc. Then you might have a this is a pretty stupid name, isn't it? But you might have the salon called Caterpillar Hair. You would then have to register that as providing a service. So that's the distinction. So services, for example, here for example, they start at 35. So you've got advertising, 36 is insurance, 37 building construction, and so on. And for example, 25 is one we come across quite a lot, which is footwear, headgear, um, and clothing. So we often register things, for, even for franchisors, who again, say, might be going to have t-shirts um, and uh, hats and those sorts of things for their staff or their customers to buy. So we register it in 25. Um, so the process, is, the process is relatively simple. Um, the, Registering a trademark, and I'm more than happy to answer questions when uh, we have another, say, 10 minutes or so of this, or whatever time Brian interrupts me. Um, trademarks, uh, as I said, are the best protection you can possibly get for, for anything really in your life when you think about it. The actual cost of applying to IP Australia and when we do it for you and handle the process 
we charge $700 plus GST to lodge the application and the application per class, mind you, but per class. So in the two classes I mentioned, you'd be paying uh, another $450, $225 a class. So for $1,000 or around about that, you've got your actual application in. If, as in four, and four out of five classes, it goes straight through to the actual registration procedure when it becomes yours, process which takes about nine months and three three-month steps, which I won't bother going into too much detail unless anyone really wants to know. Um, you pay another uh, about three or four hundred or five hundred to us for handling it during that time, plus GSP, and you pay three hundred and thirty, I think it is, for just stuck it up a class. And so for, let's just call it one trademark, two classes, as I just said, one product and one service, about two thousand, two thousand five hundred dollars and you've got protection for 10 years. At the end of 10 years, you don't have to go back to see your lawyer, which is always a good thing. You simply pay IP Australia and you get another 10 years. So ostensibly, you could have 20 years of protection of your trademark uh, for, say, $3,000, one trademark, two classes. So as you can see, that's very, very reasonable to protect other parties, and that's what it's all about, to protect other parties from using your trademark and using the benefit of your goodwill and the brand and everything that flows from that. So that's, that's basically trademarking. Um, I'll come to copyright in a minute, but just as an example, some clients of ours, and again, I don't mind telling you, but we didn't act on them at that time, Auto King, before they came to the Gold Coast trip four years ago, and I didn't know this at the time, they actually founded a, a thing called Just Cars, uh, and it was Just Cars doing something, I'm not sure. So they traded for about three or four years and were doing very well, and then Just Cars Insurance registered as a trademark, and they spent $220,000, repeat $220,000 on legal fees, not with us, unfortunately, but the result might, be, might have been different, I must say that, of course. But they lost their case, and it cost them $220,000 to try and protect them, and they lost their business. So a small amount of, of payment, as I've said, would have, would have put them in the market with their trademark, so when Just Cars Insurance started, and registered their trademark, they wouldn't have lost their business and then had to try and resolve it by getting their trademark back or getting their mark registered. Um, so very important to register a trademark. Um, you can do other things with a trademark, but obviously if you're a franchisor, and the potential franchisors are probably most of the people that are listening, um, it becomes one of the assets that goes straight on your balance sheet. I may be wrong, but I think some years ago I saw an article with Telstra's trademark was on their balance sheet of something like or something in the in the teens of millions, so thirty or forty million for the Telstra trademark is what they valued it at. Now you might not get that in your business, but certainly uh, well protected intellectual property will save you somehow save you from having your intellectual property pinched by someone, put it bluntly or used by someone and then having a rearguard action to try and say it was ours, even though we didn't have it registered, we've been had it for five years and relying on the common law which I mentioned. And of course it's an asset that you come to sell forms part of your um, balance sheet and therefore part of your goodwill. Now copyright, copyright is something, copyright is something that's again uh, far more prevalent now with computer software and those sorts of things and as I say recipes, living herbs and spices and those sorts of things. All of those are protected principally by copyright. Now there is no procedure for registration of copyright anywhere in the world so if someone tells you they buried their recipe for, for mum's uh, marmalade jam in the back uh, lawn 20 years ago with a copy of the local paper of the day and therefore that's how it's protected. Rubbish. Um, you protect 
copyright belongs uh, when it's created uh, with the party who creates it. So I'm now looking very nicely in a lovely sunny day on the Gold Coast over the broad water and the ocean. So if I said the white shark jumped out of the water and its blue stomach turned the rainbow in the sky, which is a lot of nonsense, not happening, and it's probably a pretty silly thing to say, but if that became uh, a saying in the next day, someone heard it and turned it into a, a byline for a product or something, I could say, well, I, I thought of that at 11.23 on this particular day, and it belongs to me. That's all you have to do. Simple as that. So, we protect copyright principally with the documents we do by all the documents we do have a code on them, um, and all the documents we do also have a copyright warning inside them, just like a book has, which says, warning, don't copy this book because it belongs to the author, etc., etc. So if you open up a, a novel, particularly next time you've got a chance, and have a look in the first few pages, and you'll see what is a typical copyright warning, which warns people that it's an original work. Someone is claiming the uh, title, if you like, to that original work, and any unauthorised dealing or use of it leaves the party that um, used, does that liable to damages, costs, etc., etc. The copyright is very easily transportable worldwide, um, and as I said before, for the third time, it's created by the party who has that original thought or, or does that piece of computer software, etc. It's quite important also now to realise that there's not only legal rights, which we've talked about for 20 minutes, but there's also moral rights. They are becoming more and more intrusive into the legal system, particularly in the lit litigious uh, United States of America where people say they have a moral right to something because they worked on it or had an original thought which was caught up in the actual uh, trademark or the, or the copyright. So those sorts of things you need when dealing with intellectual property, whether it's being created, whether it's being... Uh, oh, excuse me. Um, just a reminder for anyone that hasn't already pressed star six in order to mute your call so we don't hear any other interruptions and so forth and allow, allows you to relax while you're listening to Ivan. So... Just to remind it. Please, carry on, Iden. That's right. I thought that was the five-minute beeper or something, Brian. No. <laughs> oh, the eggs are boiled. <laughs> um, anyway, carry on. sorry, yes, so um, I was just saying, I think that um, yes, any, any, any dealing with intellectual property needs uh, care and attention, and that's not spruiking, but you do need to have care and attention. It, we, we have solved lots of problems, again, not telling tales out of school, but in about three years ago, we were acting for a Dr. Tim. Now, Dr. Tim is not the brewery Dr. Tim, but I'll come to him in a minute, of Cooper's Breweries. And we were actually acting for a Dr. Tim who had about eight or nine trademarks in because he's the director of one of the largest weight loss companies in Australia. Um, and we'd give them advice on various matters of intellectual property from time to time. At the same time, um, almost as if it was deemed to happen, or spent, meant to happen, Cooper's Breweries were registering the same trademark, Dr. Tim. Oh. For a, for a new brew. And so when ours came back with a whole lot of requisitions and theirs came back with a whole lot of requisitions, instead of saying we'll see you in court, we got together with the lawyers in Adelaide and backwards and forwards for about three or four weeks and we did a deed of sort of mutual understanding, I suppose, where we could use, for example, Dr. Tim's for our whole uh, our healthy product and, and plain water. They could use Dr. Tim's for alcoholic products and so on. So we did a deed of mutual uh, usage, if you like, it's called something like that, and we allowed our, produced that to the trademarks office and they issued each of us with these six or eight classes we wanted, although some of them overlapped, with limited use. So um, that could just as easily have turned into a bun fight with someone who didn't have enough experience and ended up with a lot of expense. 
Yes, that's if I can just interrupt. That's actually very relevant because um, I, I know that I, from time to time, we all hear of people that have got a, a brand or or trying to establish a trademark or or have one and find someone else has perhaps overlapped, intruded, or you know contravened it. Um, so the process of negotiation sounds to be critically important because I know of people, um, uh, not ones you referred to, but others who incurred a lot of expense and stress and eventually maybe even walked away from it because it just became so litigious. Um, once you've got, you know, people with um, opposing points of view, they get polarised and it just becomes, as you say, a bun fight as opposed to a, a mediation or negotiation. Yeah. Very, very good point. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Well, a couple of others about dropping those. The Q1, we represented Q1, which is a large building here on the coast several years ago, I did. Uh, with Mantra, um, and Mantra wanted, had registered Q1 and we were representing the owners. So again, backwards and forwards for six months or so with, with letters, but then eventually a document and everybody walked away happy. The owners can use it for advertising their units and so on, and Mantra can use it for accommodation purposes. Oh, um, they're a hotel group, yeah. Yes. So uh, that, those are just practical things. But yes, your intellectual property is very valuable. Um, that's probably summing it up. It's just uh, as I said before, if you have a registered intellectual property, particularly copyright, we do quite a lot of copyright license agreements here where someone says, yes, you can use our, our brand or our license or whatever it is in limited circumstances. Sometimes we do intellectual property licenses here quite a lot, and sometimes they're limited to a particular company, country, I'm sorry, or their particular, I'm doing one just in fact at the moment for a company uh, which runs health food stores as a franchise, and we're allowing... Um, very limited access to it for recipes for a company to make uh, organic products, uh, as in bread and things like that. So that's all done by a licence, so it's an asset of the, of the franchisor, or in fact the intellectual property entity which is owned by the franchisor, and they're saying, yes, we'll allow you to bake our goods according to our recipes, providing you sign this manufacture and supply agreement, which has in it uh, limited usage to recipes and, and raw material formulas. So very useful, very interesting field. Uh, can all be dealt with relatively simply. I think some people put a great spin on intellectual property uh, and try and make it much more complicated than it is. But the bottom line of all this debate anyway this morning is uh, don't just expect that just because you create it and you keep it close to yourself it will be protected. You have to take some positive steps to protect it and you have to take some positive steps of that protection to allow other people to be able to use it and you still can control the ownership, which is very important, and the usage. And it's very likely, uh, in just outside the franchise system for 30 seconds, uh, like some people just create intellectual property and then license it to others to use. They don't actually use it themselves. They might say, here's something that I've created, maybe computer specifically, and I'll make it available to you to do ABC with. So, and if it's seen, uh, this particular software that I'm talking about, which may be in the hotels, they're talking a, a value of maybe as much as 50 or 500 million million comes through. Um, so it's quite, um, it's, it's quite a, very, well, a very valuable asset that a company's been working on with full-time half a dozen people six or seven years. Okay. Well, a couple of questions I've got that uh, were forwarded through to me. One is um, when you create a document, it might be a, it might be a, it might be a uh, an illustration, for example, um, which you've created yourself, and you put the little the little C copyright insignia, and you know traditionally people just put that, and maybe the name, uh, the year rather. Uh, how how does that um, stand from the point of view of securing the copyright to that to that 
that document you've created? Well, um, as I said, that's really all you can do. Obviously, if the um, question, the person that lost the question, for example, if you had um, uh, some other work, if you had drawings, if you are in fact an artist or a sketch artist or you just drew this and you might have had some other pieces of paper, keep those. If you have some uh, scribbles which lead to computer software, keep those, source codes and things like that. But it basically, if, if uh, that particular illustration we're talking about and your question uh, relates to was then seen somewhere, well, the person who has that can then say, I produced this on the 26th of March 2013. Uh, this a month later I've seen what you've got and you cease immediately or I'll uh, take you to court. Uh, unfortunately, with all of these matters, and it is unfortunately unfortunate because, and I'm not uh, being um, at all uh, with a double meaning, meaning here in saying this, uh, you, most of these remedies for use of breach of intellectual property need to go to court. Um, mm. That involves lawyers and also sometimes uh, you, know, you can't be assured that you're going to win. Uh, but that's the result. We say to people, yes, you have a, an intellectual property right here. It's a valid right, but you have to go to court. And that's particularly important with, for example, restraint of trades, which we're not talking about. But people have the rights, but they don't have the right necessarily. They don't have the money or don't have the ability or don't want to rush off to court and spend $20,000, 50000 it might be. It depends. But you can normally get an order to the short answer to the question about the, if you can prove that you've got it, you can get the court to order a restraining order so the person or person or entity who are using it is restrained from using it. You can then get an order also to destroy all material that they have. You can order, also get an order for the net profits made, this is in an ideal world, net profits made by that party for wrongful use of your um, confidential information your copyright without um, uh, your approval. So okay, so I guess the, the big thing about this is is that by registering um, or copywriting appropriately, depending on the on, on the on the topic you're dealing with, with the item, it, what it's doing is flagging the people that it is protected. So it's saying, hey, we've got this protection, and you know, just don't copy it as we're likely to to stand up there and protect our our rights, sort of thing. Yes, okay. and the same happens with trademarks. I didn't mention, but you'll see if people uh, look at trademarks, and you might take when you after this take more interest and look at trademarks. You'll see TM. Some people mm. have the right. That means that people are alleging that they have a trademark right. When you actually have have um, it uh, fully trademarked uh, through IP Australia, and you get your trademark certificate, you can then substitute the small R with a circle, which is the same as the small C with a circle. Oh, I see. So having the TM there, it, does that is that just illustrates to people? It, does it have any value? Do you need to do it if you've got a registered no, trademark? No, you don't. Well, no, you can't do it with a registered trade. Well, sorry, so I was saying if you just have a trademark and you've done nothing with it by way of process of registration or whatever, then you can put TM, and that just shows people that you know it's a trademark. It doesn't really mean much. Um, when you actually have a registered trademark at the end of the nine-month roughly process, which I mentioned. Then, uh, then you can put the R and you can claim that it shows it's registered. Okay. Um, all right. That's excellent. Thank you very much for that. A um, couple of another another question was uh, yeah, when should you register? If you start, if you've got a business and you you just the early stages of growing it and you're a little bit hesitant perhaps to commit yourself to too much expense. I mean, is it a progressive thing? Can you do it a step at a time? Um, when do you recommend to someone that they should undertake the uh, the trademark process? Yeah, well, that's a good point. Um, uh, it's obviously as soon as you're going to use it, that might sound a bit trite, but 
um, particularly if it's catchy or um, if, if it's something that you've dreamed up and it's a word or a made-up word or something like that, it's not just something that might come about. In other words, it's not descriptive of your business. It's not just bills, scaffolding and ladders, for example, um, with a ladder on the side and you know and a, a bit of scaffolding in the background. If it's something that's a made-up word, um, or an amalgamation of some words or something, it's probably best to do it as quick as possible. The, the process, as I said before, it takes, as I said in total, it takes approximately three to four months for IP Australia to actually look at it. Then they issue either a report number one, and I'm trying not to get too complicated here, but in which case it sits where it is. No one can get ahead of you once you lodge it. That's the first thing. Then oh, I'm with you. Okay, so first thing, best dress, basically. Report number one then gives you 15 months, which you can extend up to two years because it's similar to another trademark. And if you're trading during that time, and we have good success with this normally, if you're trading during that time and marketing and so on, we can show at the end of the 15-month period that you have been in the market for so many days, weeks, months, etc. your products are around Australia, your services are around Australia, or whatever, because we're only talking about Australia. Um, and then they'll allow it to go through on the basis that you've basically got a common law right, which we talked about. Um, it, otherwise, it goes straight through, and probably four out of five goes straight through. There's a three-month advertising period, which is included in the fee that I mentioned, the government fee. Um, and at the end of that, if there's no objections, uh, we've got a couple of objections going at the moment, but there's not, we don't have too many, um, then you pay your fee within a further 90 days, and uh, you're registered. So you could have, as it were, 90 days to save the money. It's nine months, roughly, to save the money um, to actually get it done in stages. Because, as I said, the first stage, and I just used as an illustration, one trademark, two classes would cost about $1,000 or $1,100, including GST, uh, all tax deductible, all subject to your accountant's advice. And the next stage would be nine months later, where you'd have to then pay uh, probably another thousand dollars or so, perhaps a fraction more, um, in fees, GST, and, and IPA, IP Australia fees. I'm with you. Okay, so you can you can defer it over. Yeah. The other question, Raj, I had from a number of people lately, is with regards to protection overseas. People who, who for example, uh, two cases I've got: people who've got a franchise business, they want to expand overseas, maybe not necessarily immediately, but in a reasonably sort of soon, uh, early future, as it were. What what, uh, what would you recommend and how complicated and expensive is that process? You did mention at the, uh, the beginning of our discussion there that you have actually been doing that process uh, for someone currently, actually. Yeah, well, um, yeah, thanks, Brian. New Zealand, uh, which is very close and much smaller, of course, is very cheap. It's about half of Australia in total uh, from end to end. So that's very... We quite often say to people, if you're going to go to New Zealand, some people never think they will, but some do. It's best to spend $1,000 or $1,200 or so, in my example, I use and do that now because they're also good for 20 years, 10 and 10. Um, otherwise, it's really not as... It's, it's very hard to give a figure, and yet it's quite easy, but um, there are a couple of uh, protocols in place called the Madrid Protocol, and I think the other's the Washington Convention or something, but one of the other sisters here, I've had him, uh, you know, Brian, uh, become more expert in the overseas stuff. Um, I used to actually do barter cards overseas work for two years uh, when they set up in 19, the late 90s worldwide, and that time it was picking off a country at a time. Now a lot of countries like the EU have got together, and you can do one registration. I think it's about um, a few thousand dollars will be roughly cover it, and you can have 26 countries done. 
But that, 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 that okay. depends on you having had an Australian trademark, I think certainly registered for some time, maybe a year or two beforehand. But you try and do it cold and do it in the world at one time, it costs a lot of money. But if you get into one of these signatory countries, then it's quite easy, or it's easier, not that expensive. Yeah, so can I just interrupt there? There's a lot of paper noise being shuffled up. So there's someone who perhaps unwittingly is on an open line. Can you just press star six? Um, if you're conscious that maybe that was you, um, I appreciate that. Thanks very much. Sorry, carry on, Arden. That's right. Sorry. So it's, it's something that people can look at. But getting back to the first part, if you you wouldn't obviously register a trademark unless you thought it had commercial value and you could use it, as I said, or, or license it to someone else. And that occasionally happens. In fact, there's a, um, a state member of parliament in Queensland who has three trademarks. We have some people who registered a trademark about a year ago and they managed to get it through. And the trademark, ironically, is I love Gold Coast for the heart, which they thought they'd never get through and had been told by other people they couldn't, and we got it straight through in the minimum nine-month period. Um, someone has already picked them off, and we're actually objecting to their trademark. <coughs> the, the person I mentioned actually had the same trademark, or very similar trademark, registered and never used it. Uh, and um, they actually have a license for that for the remainder of the 10 years, and, uh, and the I must just mention this, the particular member of parliament that owned it actually, um, they pay royalties and they go to a charity, which is quite nice. So um, so that, so he created those for a business he never went ahead with and now, well, he would have been receiving some quite some thousands every year for the remaining six or seven years of those. Um, You're on with it. Does, okay. does have some value, but unless you're actually doing it for that reason, you'd certainly try and do it when you launched your business as close to it as possible because otherwise it doesn't take long for your advertising for franchisees, you're, you're meeting people and you're talking about your business and someone goes behind your back and says, that's good, I'll register it. Um, and then you're arguing, well, I had a common law right, but common law rights take years to create, so you're much better to spend the money and get a trademark. Sounds to me like a conversation with Ivan Paul is a quick way to, uh, to clear the, the air for these questions that people have got, which leaves me with a nice segue to say, does anybody have any questions? Anyone who's got a question, just press star six, and just if you'd like to announce yourself and what your question is, and uh, we'll, we'll do our best to handle it for you. Is anyone there that's got a question, please? Yes, I've got a question, Brian. Uh, sorry, ben who's that from PC Pitstop. Yes, hi there, Ben. Yeah, just a quick one. I already have a trademark registered in two classes. If, say, for example, my business evolves and I needed to have additional classes tacked on, what's the procedure, if any, that can be done to, to have that happen? Yeah, well, unfortunately, you'll have to go back to the beginning and register a new trademark with a new class. Now, obviously, if you do the same trademark, it'll go through without any problem, so there won't be any risk of, well, I'm spending money, will I get my trademark? But unfortunately, yes, you can't just add a, a trademark in, and, and in fact, Another reason why uh, people should use expertise uh, or experts and trademarks is that once it's actually lodged, you can't sort of decide halfway through the process, hang on, I forgot, I've put down A and I really meant to put down B. You have to withdraw and start all over again. Okay. Is that all your question? Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions there from any other uh, guests on the line? Okay. If you uh, if you just bit slow pressing the button. Ah, uh, yes. Hello? Yes, hello there. Uh, yeah, my name is Damon, and I just Damon. have a Damon, D-H-A-M-E-N, yeah. Yep, hi Damon. Um, I'm just curious, if I have an existing trademark and I want to expand it, like I can put, um, you know, Gold Coast I may already have, and I wanted to put Australia at the end of it, 
How difficult is that? Um, well, uh, it, it's hard to know quite what to say. You, certainly you wouldn't have protection. You may not, in fact, if you want to put Gold Coast on Australia, you probably wouldn't get that as a registered trademark um, in any event. But if you wanted to put um, Gold Coast, for example, on your registered trademark that you have, um, you'll still have the protection of the rest of the trademark. You're not, you're not, but you won't have the protection of uh, geographical territory, for example. Um, we haven't dealt with business names, but you probably know about business names. Most, uh, probably 99% of businesses that are franchised have allowed the franchisee, but not quite that high, to use register of business names. So it might be, to use the previous uh, caller, it might be Pit Stop in brackets Geelong, Pit Stop Melbourne East, Pit Stop Melbourne North, whatever is business names, but the actual trademark that the franchisee, I'm sorry, it's my phone now, I'll just turn that off. Sorry. Um, that's my call for the week. Now, um, it's a, so you just, um, you'd, and the franchise or would then allow the each, um, franchisee to use the trademark or trademarks as part of the intellectual property along with manuals and other bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. but you put, put your Gold Coast to Australia in your trademark if you want to, but it won't be protected. Yeah. Uh, look, perhaps using Gold Coast was a bad example because I'm, I'm on the Gold Coast. But let's say I had, to use another example, if, if I had Pete's Pizzas mm -hmm. and then I wanted to, I thought, well, Pete's Pizzas probably not, you know, the umbrella's not big enough, you know, Mike, and I wanted to make it Pete's Pizzas Australia mm -hmm. and then sell franchises in Geelong or Ballarat or you know, as, as you've mentioned, how difficult is it to expand from Pete's Pizzas to Pete's Pizzas Australia? Yeah, well, it's much the same question, Damien. Um, firstly, um, don't forget that this is trademark law, which is federal law. So it's like your tax law, like your franchise law. You could be, actually we're on the Gold Coast obviously as well, but it could be, um, you could be talking to me from Hobart and the same law would apply as it would in Darwin or, or Broome. Mm -hmm. So your trademark is Australia-wide with Pete's Pizzas as, as, as your example. Um, but I, I, so I, I, I don't think... Um, sorry. I'll just, just turn it off, sorry. There is something. Um, sorry about that. Um, well, if French has already wants to speak to me. Um, what's, what was I saying here? So uh, you still wouldn't be protected, I don't think. Um, in fact, you wouldn't get the protection of putting Australia on it, and I don't... Or, 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 a, or a suburb, and I don't think, I don't see why you'd want to. It's the protection of pizza you'd want, and no one's going to rush off and put pizza Geelong. I wouldn't go and do that because otherwise I'd know that you'd be hitting me over the head saying, I've got a registered trademark and do all those things I mentioned before. Stop, surrender all your material, and give me some money. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, that's still not a very straightforward answer, but geographically you have problems with registering a trademark. Um, where, sorry, it's registering a trademark with a geographic name, but it is, is, is a bit of a no-no with IP Australia. Okay, so you could you could have a company name, which would be Pete's Pizzas Australia, for Price Limited, or a business name, Pete's Pizza Australia, um, but you would the trademark protection would just be for Pete's Pizzas. Would that, yeah, is that that's exactly correct? Right. And your business okay. name, again, underneath that would be Pete's Pizzas Geelong. That's or wherever. Pizza. Okay. No. Okay, all right. Okay, thank um, thank you for that question, Dave. Any any other questions at all? Okay, well that's fine. What I'd like to do is I will circulate. Um, oh, hello, Brian. Oh, another another call. Yes, how do you do? What was your name? Please? Uh, Bradley Cope. Bra Bradley, how do you do? Good, very good. I've a couple of questions for you. Um, a descriptive name uh, as a trademark uh, for a new product. 
Um, does that present any difficulties if the name is descriptive? Um, let's say the word like nightlight before anybody came up with the concept of a nightlight. Is that possible to trademark that? Does oh, yes. it present any problems? Uh, yes, well normally, as I said before, that's an invented name. Um, and as you said before, people know what a nightlight is now, but certainly an invented name, and it, which is not in common use, doesn't need to be a it doesn't need to be a word that we're all aware of or be in the Webster's Dictionary or any of that sort of thing. Um, and people run off with words together, Jet Express uh, and those sorts of things, whatever it might be. So, or Webjet, for example, trademark, those types of things. They're sort of invented name using a couple of, of existing things. Thank you. So certainly Nightlight, however you want to spell it, with, with a L-I-T-E instead of you know, L-I-G-H-T or whatever. Uh, that's all capable of... Um, of um, uh, yeah. Registration. Now, the pre preservation of overseas rights, if the registration is, 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 is done here in Australia, does the, um, the company have uh, the opportunity to claw back rights uh, in the future from overseas jurisdictions? Uh, unfortunately, no. no that's the only way, as Brian said 10 minutes ago, the only way to be protected in that country is to get registered in that country. So as that moves forwards, I've recently had a domain that's been cancelled. Uh, it claims that domain is uh, similar to an existing trademark mm. and while I was looking at that I've, I've noticed that a number of domains have been cancelled over the years for uh, organisations from America that's wished to push into Australia and then they claim their, uh, their trademark and then uh, some sort of eminent domain over, the, uh, over that uh, uh, domain or similar. Is, what's going on there then? Bluntly, I don't know much about domain names, but to give you an example, we have act for an American company um, who has a, um, a right, uh, who has a distribution right in Australia, a license to person to distribute their products, which happen to be animal food products, and these people are allowed to, not allowed to use any trademarks at all, and they've just gone and registered a trademark, so we've got them to withdraw it, I've admittedly saying we'll hit you over the head and withdraw your license. But now we, but they ask the same question, do we have any rights? Well, you don't, they don't have any rights. Um, in Australia, the, the fact that they, they had an unregistered usage, I suppose, with common law they do, but it's country by country. So if people, for example, go to New Zealand or vice versa or they go anywhere, um, just to use New Zealand as an example because it's close and they take a trademark back, well, bluntly, that's the trademark owner's bad luck and the... Uh, the entrepreneur who takes the names back, good luck if they okay. register us over there and, and start trading. One the one wool is, sorry, carry on, Bradley. Oh, no, please go on, Brian. No, that's what I was going to say. It's the Woolworth story again, isn't it? The fact that uh, a century ago, somebody in Australia just very smartly used the name Woolworth, which has no relationship to the famous, what was then, famous American uh, chain store group. Yeah, and, and just an example, as it's very timely as it happens as well, because Winnie Vago, um, in the States you've probably all seen this, it's been mm. quite a bit, they, they allowed a company in Sydney for about 20 years to use the word Winnie Vago, <laughs> and now the Winnie Vago have said you're not allowed to use our name anymore, um, and so now they've gone to court, they'll all be spending lots of money on lawyers and lots of tension and so on, and in actual fact the other company, the Australian Winnie Vago company has rebranded as of the 1st of March, um, and they're saying we have a good case, but I think that shows a weakness of their rebranding and inventing a name for their brand. So they've traded on as Winnie Bago for 20 years, built up goodwill, and all of a sudden it's lost because they didn't do the proper thing probably and seek the right, the, a right to a licence to use it in Australia, which they may have got 20 years ago from the parent company in the USA. 
Okay, so the lesson there is if you're using something by consent, you need to get that wrapped up in writing so that you, you've got security of tenure rather than the risk of it being taken from you. I, I guess they didn't have consent, they probably just no. this is a good name to use, it's popular, people know it worldwide as a mm. I'm going to get okay. a Winnebago, it's like right. I'm going to get a fridge, no? Okay, Bradley, you had another question there. Uh, final, final question. Um, there's, um, the question is about design, please, Ivan. Um, how can I give this an example? Um, let's say there's a, a, a common usage symbol of a termite with a cross through it, which, you know, is anti-termite treatment. And, um, and I've decided, and it's common usage, there's, there's obviously no design rights to it. But now I've decided that I want to put it on a shovel or I want to put it on a hat. Can I, um, can I claim any design rights over that logo on that product? Well, we're actually not talking, I'm sorry, but we're not talking about designs. Designs are of products, basically. But if I, I, can, I can transpose that to a question to a trademark. Um, so if I've got it right, you've seen the ant with a cross in the crosshairs of a rifle or something. Um, yeah. So if I had that registered under um, a business A for pest services and so on, and also a product that I was selling, for example, a, a, a pest spray or something, um, then you might have a chance to be able to then convince IP Australia in one of the other classes, we didn't touch on this, but you might be able to convince them that let's say you wanted to put it on surgical instruments, which is number 10, um, or on clothing, which is number 25, or something like that. Um, so, um, a, bit, a bit different, but please, please go on. No, well, I, I just didn't follow it, because it, it, when, we're, not, yeah. we're not talking I've, about product design. I'm just, if you're talking about trademark, I think, which I think you're talking about trademark. No, let, let me go back. The situation is the government legislates that certain designs must be used in certain situations. Now, I found one of these um, designs, and I wish to use it on a completely new and innovative material. Right. Now, um, what I want to do is actually um, sew up that intellectual property, and I'm not sure whether or not there's a chance of actually getting that design, uh, that is a design registration. Well, um, again, I'm not sure if I followed it, but if, if, if you want to register a design, and I'm sorry to be trite about it, but you have to fill in a design application form. We don't do much design work here. I said that, and I said we're not allowed to do patent work because we're not registered patent attorneys. They're few and far between. Um, and we don't really do any design, so my knowledge of it is relevant. It's more in the, in the protection and licensing and litigation side rather than registration. But um, you'd have to get from IP Australia uh, material to lodge or go and see a solicitor uh, to lodge a design application and I'm not sure if, about the classes of design so I'm floundering a bit here um, and presumably if it's for a different type of product um, or a different uh, service either one that the government are using or whether they have it registered or unregistered then it'll either be processed favourably or not. If we're talking about a trademark which you're not then um, just because a trademark is registered, uh, and we have quite a lot of these from time to time, we usually find a way to get around it. There are a few sort of secrets I won't disclose, but there are ways of getting around existing trademarks where you can register a trademark, particularly successfully, particularly if it's in another class. So that's why I said at the outset there are 45 classes, um, and they're very, very broad in each subset of those classes. Um, and so very often you have, as I've said before, 16 is packaging, for example, and so on. So I might be in packaging with my trademark, whatever it is, and you might want to use that same trademark for providing real estate services. So <clears throat> IP Australia might first of all say no, 
but then if you can't if you can't get me to agree that yes I won't um, will enter a, into a deed where I'll allow you to use it for um, whatever we're talking about and um, in a limited circumstances then you can appeal to IP Australia and say well this is registered in real estate and I'm going to be doing whatever it is something completely different selling knives and forks or something Sorry, I'll just interrupt there. Obviously, these specific cases need a little bit of personal attention. What I was going to suggest is that maybe we wrap the call up there. I will provide Ivan's contact details, and we'll also email them out with a copy of the teleconference, so that um, if I can impose upon you, Ivan, would you be happy to, to respond if someone drops you an email with a couple of questions in, for example? Yeah, as long as it's not sort of too much. I mean, I'm always happy, as you know, Brian, our relationship over the years, to have these teleconferences and help people where I can, but if people start asking uh, difficult questions, we've got to spend some time with. We have to say we're still happy, but it's going to start the cost. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough on a commercial basis. So if it's just a little, a simple little response, then fine, and that that may help you at least determine which way you need to go. Okay, well, what I'd like to do is to wrap up and say um, thank you very much indeed for coming on the line today, Ivan. That's right. Um, it's amazing how much information one manages to get out over a 55-minute call, so thanks for making the time available. Um, I will provide uh, Ivan's contact details and say, if you if you like to take a note of them now, I'll give you his email address. The best thing I think is to drop in a note by email. It's IJP, that's initial I, initial J, initial P, at Ivan Paul Lawyers, one word, which is I-V-A-N, P-O-O-L-E, Lawyers, L-A-W-Y-E-R-S, or one word, dot com dot A-U. So I'll send that out as well in the email so you can see it. So in closing, I hope everybody has a, a, a wonderful afternoon and uh, wherever you are and um, look forward to our next tele teleconference in about a month's time. So thank you everyone for joining us. We'll hang up now and um, thank you again for coming online. Look forward to hearing from you again. Cheers.